they had this story in the press running that you and Monica didn't get on. Do you think that actually helped the interest in the record as well? I do. I think controversy sells, definitely. Yeah. Um, I knew people were going to do that. That's why I wanted to do it so bad. Because I knew they were going to put us against each other. And that's exactly the roles that we both played in the song. Yeah. But behind the scenes, we were cool. You were actually cool. Yeah, we were yeah. cool. I think you we were not friends, but we were cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like her so much. Because oh, I'm telling the truth. Hello guys and welcome to season 5 of Don't Let The Stands. We are back and we've heard your call for us to return. First and foremost, we just wanted to say thank you to the recognition from news outlets and platforms like Complex UK, Feet Mag, Spotify, My Vero, which was written and shouted out by Alex Reeds, and Pod Bible. It's been an incredible two months and a lot has happened. A lot has happened since the last time we were here, but we are back and... Thank you very much for the love. And I think that comes from all three of us. Shope, Nick, how are you? Um, I'm good. Like, it's been a long time since we've been at the mic. Um, a lot has happened since we've been away, like you just said. So it's cool to it's cool to come back refreshed and rejuvenated with yeah, loads, loads that's happening with this podcast and everything. Um, I hope you guys have had a good break. Uh I'm okay this week. I'm a bit sad that I know it's very British of me to talk about the weather, but um, yeah, the weather's just, you guys who wish for the sun to go, F y'all. That was the only thing we got mm. this summer that was good. Um, but yeah, um, I'm good despite that. Like, it's, it's, it's good. I'm glad to be back. How, how's Chope? How's everyone? Chope, do you want to go first? Um, where do I begin? Um, you know what? I'll just say I'm tired, but I'm still here. I'll just leave it there. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, for me, obviously, we have to say RIP to Chadwick Boseman that the news was something I wasn't expecting. Uh, I woke up to a message this morning from a friend just saying, have you heard the news? And I was just like, oh, what is this now? Because it's always something. It always seems to be something nowadays. 2020 has been a very, very intense year so far. So from Don't Let The Stands, we just want to say RIP to Chadwick Boseman. And obviously, if Nick and Chope, feel, feel free to jump in and give your own, I don't know, say whatever you want if you want to. But um, for me, Chadwick Boseman, as an actor, I met him through, obviously, Black Panther. I didn't watch a lot of his movies, but that movie in particular changed a lot of things for me individually. I mean, I went to the cinema and watched it five times. And that's the only film I think I've ever seen multiple times in the cinema where I've paid, I think, at different cinema locations as well. I saw it at Everyman, I saw it at View, I saw it at... Any cinema you can think of, Cineworld, literally I watched that movie there and I have great memories about the feeling Black Panther gave me as a black man um, and had to have conversations with my dad who obviously grew up without the Marvel Cinematic Universe to now see a world where Black Panther is actually on our screen. It's a full black ca cast and yeah, that type of representation cannot go missed. I know there's a lot of critiques about um, Wakanda and what it represents and how it's based on a lot of things that are actually at the detriment of our community. But Chadwick Boseman stood for a lot. He stood for a lot of black um, liberation and he would definitely be missed. And yeah, from Don't Let The Stands, we just want to say RIP to Chadwick Boseman. 
did you guys have anything I was going to jump in and just say that like uh, like Eden, I saw Black Panther multiple times. And I think, again, like I'm a person on this podcast that has advocated for double think. Like you can think multiple things at the same time. Black Panther definitely gave our youth, people growing up, people who are younger than us, um, representation. And in some spaces, representation obviously is, it doesn't move the needle, but in this place, it really did in terms of kids having that figure on such a mass level like it was in you you couldn't miss black panther in terms of at least the um the billboards when it was out um so to see him and to see people like the peter so many figures across the film give us black male and women um to look up to as well is is incredible so that film definitely touched um, a soft spot with me, despite having obviously critiques and stuff about how America perceives Africa. But um, yeah, no, I, I, he's, he's, he's incredible. Like, and even his performance, I was watching throughout the, um, the pandemic because a film came out on, um, on Netflix, The Five Bloods, like he did incredible in that role, had critiques about the film as a whole, but his, he's a good actor. Like he's a really solid actor and it's a shame no, to, no to, to be honest, like, I woke up really upset, but in life, we were all going to die. And he got to say goodbye to his family. He got to have an incredible legacy and get his flowers, even up until the moment he was dying, like, from figures across the world, kids, mums, fathers and stuff. So I've come to the place where I'm like, it's, I would love to have been able, well, I'd love to be able to die in such a position, obviously not to cancer, but to be able to get that love, um, that accomplishment, that sense of accomplishment. Um, so few actors in Hollywood uh, and beyond reach that that place of being able to do a role that they can really say reflected them um, and what they wanted to kind of give to the world. Uh, and he got to say goodbye to his family. That is such a positive for me. Like some people don't even get to see the figures in their life that they love before they die um, moments before. So we have to kind of take that going forward as well, that it's not all bad. Um, and I always try and see the positive in situations. So yeah, he's in peace now, away from the dirty disease that is cancer and his family got closure, at least his close family. Um, but RIP, you've left your legacy on the world and even beyond Black Panther as a person, like I watched multiple interviews, yeah. just an incredible person so yeah that's why and um obviously going on from that section how are we in terms of the space we're in because when we started the last season obviously we were going into um i have some thoughts on chadwick too i know i don't speak i know I, i'm not <laughs> emotional i don't i'm more vulnerable but i have something to say too oh, okay um so i would like to say um i was um, i was um very devastated when i saw this this morning I, uh, yeah, it just, obviously you never ever expect news like this. And I, something I've learned about myself in the last 10 years or so, I really don't like death and death scares me. And it's just, yeah, I don't like talking about it. I don't like thinking about it. And the idea of it, whether it be my loved ones or people I admire or look up to, it's just a very, uh, um, so yeah, no, this was very, 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 very shocking and very heartbreaking. Because um, for me, my first time seeing him was in Get On Up. He played James Brown. That was my first time watching him in a movie. Um, and then I saw, I did see, also see 
I also watched The Five Bloods as well as uh, Black Panther, obviously, and you know, and The Avengers and Captain America, or whatever. But I was actually looking forward to his next role. He's he was well, it's already been filmed, but he's going to be in um, the Ma Rainey biopic, yes. yeah, which I'm which I'm looking forward to seeing. So I believe that will be his um his final role whenever that comes out. I think that's next year now. But um, I think most of all, what was surprising to me was just that I don't understand like this the sheer strength and the the sheer I guess a uh, perseverance. The fact that he had he was diagnosed four years ago, but in that space, all the stuff he fit, all the movies he filmed within that time, and not even just the undertaking of actually the physical uh job undertaking of those jobs but like even all the stuff around doing all the promo or the press and all the stuff that comes with being an actor and he was doing all that for the cancer diagnosis and lord knows he must have had you know days where he was up or some days when he was like really really you know like not in the best um shape um health wise and it's like wow like and you just you just never know you never truly know what people are going through you never know what is happening behind closed doors so um yeah that that's my vulnerable moment for the day it's crazy because his last performance actually features denzel washington in the producer seat and viola davis alongside him so whenever that biopic comes out is going to be what a way to go out what a what a way to go out that's going to be like nuts so i'll definitely be watching that as well cool um has everyone said everything they wanted to say yes i have okay cool um so obviously last season we came into this season and it was cut short. Well, it wasn't cut short, but a lot of things had to change because of coronavirus. How have you guys been dealing with the pandemic and everything now? How has everything changed? How is everything for you? I'm fine. Life goes on. <laughs> um, I definitely ventured out a little bit more in terms of I went to Bournemouth during the break for um, a long weekend with some friends. And I think it's just about transitioning to this phase of just really on a personal level with obviously the knowledge of safety measures and stuff not just from the government because they'll lead us astray but in terms of other outlets like as I said before last season like scientists professionals in the industry um, people who know what pandemics look like um, and have analyzed them in their life I think it's about looking to them for guidance and then making the personal decisions to do what you need to do want to do that it's what you whatever you consider your boundary of safe um i still wouldn't be in a place to probably travel or venture to like the likes of united states all that kind of stuff i've seen people try to do that but that's not my personal you know prerogative but i have gone out like i've done the eat out to help out stuff i've gone to friends little like gatherings and house house warmings and stuff like that where they've moved house and stuff but um yeah like i think it's just about especially for your mental health like if, even if it's just taking a walk like i've always advocated for this throughout the pandemic definitely get some time outside even if you're scared to like go into bars and like, all that kind of stuff take a walk you need to go outside like go to a park all that kind of stuff but um i think mentally i'm in a much better place than i was recording the last few seasons i'm still very busy that is something that's continuous and hasn't changed but in terms of just getting those moments of sanity and like doing things for myself, um, I'm in a better place in dealing with this pandemic. 
Uh, I am. I did tweet about this before. I am worried about winter, though, um, and the possibility of the lockdown getting strict again. Um, obviously, if it's for our safety, we're going to all do that 100%. But that plus the winter nights, something that's scaring me a little bit. But I enjoyed summer to the best of my abilities um, within what I deem to be safe measures. So that's where I'm at, you know. Um, how are you, Eden? How are you coping with it? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's an independent journey. I think I came from it at an angle of more of like a community thing before. But like I tell most of my friends, um, focus on the people in your house. That's all you can really do at the moment. Like I know, and I think out of all three of us, I'm the one that's kind of been very precautious to the point of maybe the furthest I've been is inside of my area on a walk or something like that. But um, I think you're absolutely right. It is about personal comfortability. What are you comfortable doing? What makes sense for you as an individual? And um, are you in a position where you can do something like that? Obviously, I have family members with um health conditions that something like this would be very dangerous for them and that's my reason for staying home but at the same time i understand that not everyone can stay in the house for such a long time it can be quite damaging um and i feel like i've done a lot of introspection whilst being in the space at home just by myself or um just finding peace in different areas of the house because obviously the peace that i found outside maybe in friends houses or um when like restaurants or clubs and stuff like that and then come home it's changed so much because of the coronavirus and everything. And I've realized how important it is to be present in the moment and not worry so much about the future. Obviously, it will depend on a lot of things that are going on. But if we look at the likes of Chadwick Boseman, for example, someone who most likely knew about um, what was going to happen in a few maybe months or years, he still lived his life. He still performed these amazing parts in these movies and has these movies that are going to honor his legacy after he passes as well and he didn't stop he didn't he didn't stop to kind of um complain about what was going on at least publicly i don't know what's happened behind the scenes no one will ever know and i think we can learn from that i think it's important that we do learn from people that are in the public eye but also people we know as well and i can definitely say i've learned from my friends who maybe are going out and doing things that i wouldn't do individually but i understand the freedom that comes with autonomy with saying okay the news is saying this, the news is saying that. They're both confusing ideologies because a lot of the information we're given by these official people don't actually make sense. I'm going to do this and I am bearing the brunt of my own decision. And I respect that. I know I'm online a lot talking about how people are doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. It comes from a place of fear most of the time for the safety of people that I really care about. But at the same time, I understand the need for people to go out and do things. So in terms of where I am in this coronavirus thing at the moment, you guys know I'm the conspiracy uh, conspiracy theorist person, um, but I'm not worrying about the future so much anymore. So that's definitely made a difference to how much I delve into those conspiracy theories. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you both seem to be in a space where you're more comfortable doing things outside. That's definitely had to take a lot of, I guess, emotional questions, maybe physical um challenges in the outside world as well 
And I hope anyone listening to this as well has found their peace, whether it's inside or outside. That's definitely going to be massively important in the time to come. Because like like we were saying, this coronavirus thing, we don't know how long you'll be here for. We don't know what it means for general life for everyone. So it doesn't mean we should necessarily stop living our lives. Um, so yeah, that's good. Let's start the show. Unless anyone else had anything to say. But let's start the show. Shopee, do your thing. So, um, for the first time this season, we're going to be going through what we've listened to for the week. I have none. Eden and Nick. Oh, wow. Um, Nick, do you want to go next? Um, usually you do. And I'm still kind of, I'm okay, cool. still deciding. So. <laughs> okay. I didn't want to interrupt you. That's why. But. Um, no, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So I'm going to go in random order. So I'm going to start with Twice as Tall. I'm going to start with albums that I was listening to whilst away and kind of impacted me in a way maybe negatively or positively twice as tall burner boy (sighs) um yeah um this album i was when i was tweeting from the account obviously living the moment with mainly loads of nigerians online which i found really funny and um like laughing at the p diddy kind of quotes and all of those types of things I, th- I felt like I was kind of living off their energy much more than the album. For me, the production on this album was very lackluster. Like, I didn't feel the drums in the way that I did. I know we can't compare albums, but when it comes to releasing such a monumental album like African um, Giant, for example, the production on Twice As Tall was really, it lacked soul for me. Like, I don't know how to describe, maybe it was something to do with the drums or um, kind of the instruments that were used on it, but it just didn't feel like as authentic as African Giant did. And of course, there are some songs on there like I, that I do like, like I like 23, um, I like Comma, I like um, Monsters, but mainly because Chris Martin is on there and you guys know I love um, Coldplay. I love Real Life with Stormzy. Um, like there are songs on there and because it's Burner Boy, obviously there are going to be a few songs that you like because he's a good writer. And also at the same time, his voice is so like, it's something that you just vibe to. Like he knows how to use his voice quite well. Um, but I just feel like it was missing a lot of soul. I feel like it was really um, diluted in what it could have been. And I think P Diddy's kind of thinking behind that was if we want a Grammy, we need to make it so it's digestible by maybe American audiences. And for me, that was very apparent. Like, I don't understand why Naughty by Nature were on that album. The thing is, Burner Boys actually expressed desires to work with them. Like, in terms of, like, he's... That's the thing. It's very, like, I think there is an American pivot, but that's very intentional by Burner Boy as well. Like, I think we need, like... The context here is that Burner Boy wants to improve and did with the chart placement, his positioning in that market and that stratosphere and in the West, like he's always wanted to do that. And that um, that is something that he said quite vocally across his career. Um, so I think even the partnership with Diddy, I know a lot of framing online, not necessarily by you, Eden, but again, on that night when people were going through were very much like, oh, Diddy's come in and it's been that kind of partnership. But I think it's like, Burner Boy welcomed it. You know, you have to welcome it to release a whole project with someone. And I think Burner Boy definitely was as 
comfortable here as Diddy in wanting this American pivot. And he sees signs of success there. So I think he wants to continue it. So, and I think the naughty by nature thing, um, there's, I think there's been interviews where he's been, he said, he said that he's wanted to collaborate or they've been at least the, he's been the fav, one of his favorites. So, but I know what you mean about the production. It's completely different to yeah. African Giant. No, there's definitely, I, I definitely hear, sound. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying. I mean, if it, if it was Burner Boy's decision, then for me, it didn't work. Like, I feel like it wasn't, like, I understand the need to kind of stretch out the where you're trying to come from musically and kind of, um, I mean, kind of be different to what you released last time. But for me, the collaboration just didn't really make sense on the album. Um, and the overall project for me just felt really, I don't even know how to describe it. It just, like, when I listened a few times afterwards, when I was just literally by myself, and I went to my favourite songs, I was like, wait, why am I not going back to the other songs on the album and I kind of questioned that and for me it was just they lacked soul like they lacked intention and I just felt really bored by them like there was nothing that really made them feel energetic like when anybody comes on like I have to go back to African Giant when anybody comes on you feel it from the first second it starts like when you hear that trumpet start or um if you hear um African Giant when you hear the um i can't remember what the instrument is but when you hear the little beeps of the instrument at the beginning you're like okay so it's building to something this album was just literally soulless for me and i was disappointed um i did rate it six out of ten on dats but i if i was to rate again it would probably be like a maybe a 4.5 or a 5 which isn't bad which isn't bad for an album it's not terrible well okay so five isn't bad but 4.5 isn't necessarily bad (laughs) Like I mean, if I saw my album on Pitchfork with four point five, I'd be annoyed. <laughs> but it's it's just like it's a very average. I don't know. I, I didn't like it. But anyway, that's fine. That's um, fine though. Yeah. So, did anyone else have anything to add about Burner Boy? Or uh, um, I do you know what? Like, I think it's it's going to take a while for him because I think with the last two albums before this, um. I think, I know what you mean. There's been a bit more of a nuanced and deeper appreciation for maybe the production in terms of the instrumentals or more, let me just say more instrumentals, right? Which makes it feel more authentic with then, which then makes it feel more like a Burner Boy project, right? Because he loves his genre blending. He loves his instrumentals. He's very instrumental. He likes taking Afrobeat samples and then intertwining them with contemporary Afrobeats um, sounds and then adding in hip hop and stuff like that. He's, he's a very, and dancehall elements, of course. He's very good at doing that right because of the instrumentals and i do get where you're saying uh that it's a more diluted sound just sonically across in terms of less instrumentals and more of a westernized sound in terms of that it's like i'm not going to say it's completely like this like but as west indians like go into turtle bay i'm not going to say it's exactly the same because i don't feel it's that far but people can get that analogy you know it's a reason why it's only good for drinks, you know? But in terms of the um, a Twice As Tall project, I get what you're saying there, but I think there are some songs that work on the project. I think he just needs to balance out making a palatable sound, because that is the era we're in. We're in the era where loads of artists are from the continent are trying to be palatable um, 
it's about making the a palatable project, but at the same time, still being true to the amount of what made you great, which is was those instrumentals and stuff like that. I think there's a way to do it. And what I would say is um Adekunle Gold's Afro Pop Volume One. Adekunle Gold. Adekunle, sorry, Gold. Um, Afro Pop Volume One is a perfect example of having the balance, right? Of ten is ten songs long. It was released last week. No, yeah, last week, and it's an incredible sound. Like in terms of the instrumentals, in terms of the working with producers on the continent and getting the sound right. But then it sounds so euphoric, and it sounds. And I feel like in a way, even African Giant was that album for him as well. I just think. Um, he probably thinks that to make it more global and to, as Diddy said in the video, make a Grammy sound and all this kind of thing, like to make, to get album of the year instead of Africa and all this kind of stuff. He feels like he needs to make it more diluted, but I don't think he needs to. Like, I think an album like African Giant in terms of instrumentals would have still worked again. But what I'll say yeah. is congrats to him for charting a whole 50-odd spots higher on mm. the Billboard Hot 100, which... Um, Billboard 200, sorry, albums. Um, I think he got, like, 54 he debuted at, which is the highest for um, a contemporary Nigerian artist. So, shouts to him. Um, but sonically, it will take a while to kind of mix the sounds together, especially if he's going to collaborate with more hip-hop acts um, and the likes of like Chris Martins and stuff across his career um, yeah so it's getting the balance right yeah and of course what we're not saying is well what I'm not saying is obviously stick to the lakes and the rivers that you're used to I'm not saying literally don't experiment whatsoever I'm just saying that for me this experimentation didn't work um there were yeah it was empty in a lot of places but yeah appreciate that Nick um for t- chiming in on that one um, I'm conscious of time. So the next one that I will go to is um, Jayla Darden. So volume two, Ideas volume two, sorry. So it's no secret that I'm a massive Jayla Darden fan. Um, when I first heard onto something, I was in Amsterdam and it was an ethereal experience. I love her music. Um, I've been sharing a lot of her music on Vero lately as well. And people have been like, wow, I can hear the Brandy and the um, Aaliyah influence in there. And these are throwaway songs. She's just thrown on a random EP that she hasn't even named she's just called it like for example idea 686 idea 683 and for me like if if these are throwaway tracks i'm intrigued on what she's going to release next because idea 686 i love it so much like i i just i can't even describe it i just love how her voice sounds on the production that she produced herself by the way um, and I've seen that she's kind of been reaching out to a lot more R&B artists like her, for example. They did a live together during that whole um, her um, with other like black women um, sessions on Instagram live that she had. And it's not exclusively black women. Pardon me? It's not exclusively black women, those sessions. Who were they with? They were, it's, it's called Girls with Guitars. So it's literally any female artist that plays a guitar. Oh, okay. That's fair enough. Because I saw Leanne Havis and quite a few different people. So I thought it was just, I didn't see anyone else who wasn't a black woman. So, okay, that's fair enough. Um, So Jayla Darden featured on one of them. And I just found it incredible how she's just growing so quickly. Um, And I'm intrigued to see what she does with her next project. I didn't like Demolition, I think it's called, which was her, her latest release. I didn't like it. It just felt very chaotic. 
um and i hope she doesn't go down that route in future but i'm very intrigued to see what she does um i can see her on a lot of like features and also have her own um lane to go down um in the years to come next um it will be nines so i'm conscious of the fact that this album only came out yesterday i think it was so i'm not really going to go in an in-depth review of this one but i can say that it's my first time actually listening to a nines project like i've listened to random songs in the past and kind of heard his flow um and kind of the things he talks about and been like oh this guy's interesting like he always has really good music videos as well so I actually sat down and I listened to this album yesterday. I drove to McDonald's with it playing and everything. And I watched the movie that came with it as well because he produced a short movie as well. And I must say, I'm very intrigued in him as an individual. I know that Neef has recently written something, I want to say for The Guardian, but I'm not entirely it sure. Was, it was. It was an interview. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, so Neef actually went to Church Road where Nines is based and had a conversation with him about um, how he grew up and basically how Nines said he grew up too quickly. And obviously, if American listeners don't know who he is, Nines is this artist who um, talks a lot about his life and the things that he's gone through. And he's been embroiled in a lot of kind of controversy in the past, maybe um, things that can't be spoken about, obviously, on podcasts, but he's gone through some things in the past and um, was recently attacked and put in hospital. He has a kind of wound to his face now. And that was kind of the story of the movie that he released and talking about the duality of his life of um being connected to the road life where he grew up and not being able to let it go it's kind of like a safety net and also trying to be this rap who everyone knows as well and i found that duality and he's an amazing actor by the way like he's actually a very very good actor i couldn't tell if some parts were like a documentary or if they were actually acting um and he said he was supposed to be in top boy but he turned it down so I'm intrigued to see where his career goes. He seems, he reminds me of um, Nipsey in essence. And what I mean by that is um, kind of the personality of, yeah, I came from this place and I'm not going to look down on this place. I know I'm going to a different place because of my music is taking me to different places. But at the same time, I am this person and my community relies on me. And I'm just interested to see where his career, his career goes. Um, but yeah, not to take up any more time, um, Nick, what is your listen? Um, I want to say I can't wait to get into Nines' projects, but um, I'm going to do it next week because there's just my headspace right now. I need to kind of be in, I just know it's going to be a project that I need to take in with a clear mind. So I can't, I really can't wait. But one thing I'll say is like, this is how I want to see hip hop acts in the UK or rappers in the UK do it. Like it's just been such a great rollout for him um the album i just want to get more creative let's do this shit like album covers interviews like the interview with neef was really great like in terms of getting a bit about him um and the the visuals as you said eden like he's been very consistent with the visuals um throughout his career so I, i'm very excited to get into this um and i just want to say shout out northwest like really really incredible i just know that this album is being received really well i don't want to go in with that bias because if it is bad i will say it but um you know shout out to him the rollout has been good like and i'm really really glad that an unknown t i want to mention as well while we talk about this i just think yeah like it's been really good hip-hop rollouts and um rapper rollouts in the uk throughout this pandemic so shout out to them and drill yeah drill rappers in general like in the uk um killing it man like yeah it's gonna it's, it's great but um in terms of what i've been digesting 
throughout the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'll hone in on this week specifically as well. Um, one person I'm going to give my absolute flowers to because I just feel like the sentiment with Chadwick um, is imploring me to do that. And I always do that anyway. Um, I love Predictable. Talk about her every week. Brie Runway, Gucci. I'm just incredibly proud of her pandemic rollout. Um, she's, again, an artist that I just see huge things for. If not here, in different markets, it will be fine to do that. But um, she's a dark-skinned Black woman telling the world that she does not give a fuck. Like, she is that girl. And I think this video for Gucci is just... It's nuts to be able to do that in a pandemic um, with the team that she has around her as well. I just know that it took a lot of work to get that done. Um, and for her to be so resilient into making that happen is incredible. Um, if you don't know who Brie Runway is, she's a Hackney-based singer first. Um, sometimes dabbles in a bit of rapping her songs, but she is a singer first. Um, she is. She calls herself a pop artist. Uh, but she she definitely dabbles in the likes of um, trap. There's a bit of there's slight rock influences that she's going into on this next EP that she's spoken about. And she yeah, this song is just about feeling bold. It's about luxury. It's about self empowerment. Um, I'm loving Mal I love Malibu Mitch. I've spoken about her like multiple seasons on this podcast. Her cadence is something that's just so incredible. Um, and her flow. So the way they made that work, um, they put her on a screen. Um, and then just made the, the CGI with that look incredible, like um, putting the TV with Brie across the different sets on her on her visual as well. Um, I definitely see the Missy Elliott influences in her, which obviously got called out and Missy Elliott shouted her out throughout the pandemic. Um, but yes, the song itself is good too. Very trappy, um, 808s in heavy, heavy rotation there. And yeah like i just think i mean i'm incredible i'm just it's incredible to watch her grow it's incredible to watch her evolution and visually she's never missed um and she's moving the needle for a lot of uk acts in this generation in terms of what how, how you do it the artist thing how you really tap into your artistry um and make that bold and make that different and make that distinctive and make that edgy fundamentally and not edgy for the sake of it edgy in terms of it reflects the song as well um yeah, so that's Brie One Way. Um, in terms of going, sticking in the vein of women for a little bit, um, oh, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to bring this one up because she's, she's, she's a bit of a controversial one. I've spoken about her before, and she's her actions this week have just been a bit wild. But um, I'll bring it up because I love the tape. But um, Melotto, um, I call her Lotto, but if you want to search her, her name is called Melotto on streaming services she released a project called queen of the south this comes after an incredible pandemic era for her she scored her first gold record with um with bitch from the south featuring the remix featuring sweetie and trina she made her first billboard hot 100 entry at, i believe 95 a week ago with that same song uh and she got a gucci man feature called muwap on which is homage to him obviously go up um on her queen of the south tape and then she released the visual as well and she was in cardi b's work video for um a short cameo um so yeah incredible incredible trajectory for her going up right now she's she's in her moment 
um, the rise is happening, as I've spoken about so many times with the women in hip hop getting visibility. So this tape is basically um, 13 tracks long. It's about 30 minutes, not too hard of a listen. I would just say what I love about this rapper, Lotto, is she has the perfect embodiment of someone who can bar. She writes her lyrics, she writes pretty much every one of her bars and that was prefaced in her appearance on Jermaine Dupri's The Rap Game when she was 16 17. Uh, so yeah, she writes all of her bars and um, but she she has the mix of entertainment with the puns and that that's that's something that's hard to balance and hard to shape up um and obviously there's a sound to atlanta there's a sound for the south i love how greasy she is i love how um how real she is um in terms of her lyricism as well and i just love the self-confidence and the ownership of um her her sexuality in terms of like just owning what she does um and i think this tape in particular i love 21 savage um his appearance on Pull Up. I love the City Girls' appearance on In and Out. I love her solo song on God, which is single ready in terms of it's just so fun. And it just reminds me of like, I haven't been to one personally, but I've seen them portrayed in films, just an Atlanta strip club. It just sounds that crazy. It sounds that greasy. It's It's got that bounce in it. Um, and yeah, I think it's an incredible project personally. Um, it's a shame that she likes to threaten people online though um but that's some that's an issue for a different day um love that one um i'm not going to get into too much because we've, we've spoken for too long but next week i'll come back with the other stuff i've been listening throughout this pandemic with as well because there's a lot but um we'll move in to the news uh unless shope you, you sure you don't have anything you want to share or anything like no. that cool Right, let's move in to the news. It's been a very busy time since the pandemic. We've missed a lot of the news, but we will only focus on what's happened this week. Um, so first of all, we'll start with some positive news. Um, so obviously, as the pandemic has gone on, we've spoken about it in the last half of the season, but the platform versus is here it's back it's still been going throughout our break it's been entertaining the masses um giving us great partnerships and a really one that kind of got refuted uh weeks into versus his creation um has now been confirmed <laughs> um so it's it's crazy it's actually crazy this partnership's happening when i first saw it i was i was shocked there was tweets from our account, there's tweets from every account, there are pictures. Both ladies went uh, to top of the trends on Twitter for the whole night. <laughs> um, but yes, so the people who I am talking about are um, Brandy versus Monica. So this matchup is crazy. If you don't know the two ladies, then uh, you've been living under a rock for pretty much decades at this point. <laughs> but both have changed the landscape of R&B. Both have been big figures throughout the 90s, 2000s, um, continue to still go um, as artists. One just, well, in terms of albums and stuff, Brandy just released an incredible album. Um, I know there's some... Controversial thoughts on the album, but yeah, they are still both active artists. Um, this battle will take place from an incredible venue, <laughs> which is Tyler Perry Studios. 
incredible. I think it will be one of our first chances to really see it. Obviously, we've seen pictures. Obviously, we've seen like short clips, but to experience, you know, a studio, um, one of his many studios um, on the complex in Atlanta, we will see these two ladies in there. So it's, it's going to be nuts. It's obviously drinks by Ciroc, <laughs> as well as some <sighs> other, as well as some other sponsors. Um, but yeah, this is taking place uh, Eastern time, 8 p.m., um, which will probably be, I think, one in the morning for us, British Standard Time. But this is, yeah, Monday. So two days, well, it would have happened by the time that we, we kind of talk about it. Um, but yes, this battle will happen. Um, hopefully it was good, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and hopefully it saw a reunion. But um, if you don't know the history between Brandy and Monica, there's been a lot of feuds or there's been a continued feud um they both obviously collaborated i wouldn't say continued is i would say it's on and off on and off cool but they both collaborated on the iconic obviously the boy is mine won multiple awards um and yeah they performed together multiple stages grammys you know multiple stages throughout their history both call it one of their best records of all time um and there's been, yeah, there's been rivalry and arguments that have popped up, as Chope said, yeah, multiple times over the years. Um, there's one that I'm reading about on um, Variety or that, you know, happened on the MTV VMAs in 1998. The, the, the relationship had become so kind of chaotic um, that a planned performance on the Grammys the following year um, was called off. Um, where they'd run one, obviously, multiple trophies for, like, best R&B song by a group or duo and others. Um, 2018's Essence Festival, um, Brandy revised um, the lyrics to The Boy Is Mine saying The Song Is Mine. So there's some very petty moves back and forth over the years. But, again, to get these ladies even in a seat, uh, in Tyler Perry studio to to um go against each other is nuts. But I want to ask you guys' thoughts on this one of arguably one of the most probably to come iconic partnerships and verses um so far. I, I yeah one that we didn't see coming really and truly. But yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on this and who do you think will take the crown? Um. No, so I was um I was um very 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 surprised to see this happen. I mean, since the whole versus saga began in March, April, whenever people had been throwing in Brandy and Monica, Brandy and Monica, Brandy and Monica, and I said that never happened because those hoes don't like each other. Um, but you know, to my well, this is the, to my surprise, it actually happened. You know, and you know, as a fan of both of them, um, like I love, I love them both dearly. So I'm definitely excited, and I think it's like it's actually a great, a great battle. Like considering the trajectory of their careers, like they're, like you know, they both have like sevens, seven albums. Um, they're quite evenly matched in terms of like the amount of number one hits they have, amount of top ten hits they have, amount of records they've sold. Well, Brandy is sold more internationally, but. So it's like, it's quite a very, it's like, of all the battles, it's like, it's the most even. So it's kind of like, it's going to be like a, a case of, you know, it could really go either way. Personally, for me, I am, you know, I say this all the time, like, I am Team Brandy, but that doesn't mean I'm Team Monica. So I'm say this, like, as much as, you know, I, I 
Randy will win for me. Um, that is not to say I don't want anyone listening to this to play on Monica's name, to disrespect Monica's name, to shade Monica's name because she she has catalog. She has stacked hits, stacked album cuts. What so all the Brandy fans out there like? Let's not disrespect Monica. Like I am Team Brandy, but I am Team Monica too. But I'm primarily Team Brandy. So um. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. Um, I do think that Black Twitter is going to be a mess. Um, the, the shade and the memes and the gifts are going to fly and I can't wait. And I'm also just kind of, I'm going to be interested to see them together because obviously it's not going to just be in their in respective houses. So like, you know, Brandy is, you know, she finds it difficult to to, to uh, hide how she's feeling on her face. So... I just because even like when they were promoting that last song, there was just clearly some still some tensions or some things that there. So like they're yeah they they're very on and off their friendship. Like I call them frenemies. Like that I do believe there's like a love and appreciation for each other, but there's definitely I still don't even know what the real root of the issue is. But I think it was an industry thing. Like they were just they were just tags against each other from the very beginning alongside Aaliyah, and then yeah I just think. I think I think more so than anything, I think the fans have actually contributed to lengthening this feud. I don't actually, I actually don't. I still don't really know what the actual root is. But yes, I know um, they had a fight back to the VMAs before that performance. I know that, um, <laughs> which you know is a common urban legend. But um, yeah, that's that. Those are my thoughts. Uh, so for me, like I'm coming from a completely outsider type of view. Like obviously, I know who Monica and Brandy are, and I've listened to both of their music but I didn't know a lot about the background to it. I didn't know about the politics. Like literally when I heard about um, Brandy apparently getting punched in the stomach, I was very confused because I had no idea about the history. Um, but yeah, not to echo what Chopin has said, but I agree with everything he said so far. I'm intrigued to see what happens during the verses. I haven't really kept up with them, um, but I'm intrigued to see what happens. Um, and I know they both produced amazing music and I'm intrigued to see if Brandy does anything with the new material she's released. Um, I'm intrigued because I'm not too sure on it, but um, yeah, let's let's see what it sounds like. What about you, Nick? Um, yeah, like again, shocked that this is happening, but I'm all for like peace and <laughs> reconciliation. So I, to be honest, they I think they could have done even more incredible things if the feuds and stuff weren't, you know, involved by the industry and stuff. So. Um, yeah, I'm happy. I, I want to see reconciliation, like genuine, not even just performative for the, you know, I want to see a healing moment between the two if it's not happened already or just reinforcement of if like a phone call's happened in the last couple of weeks or, you know, some, a, I don't know, a Zoom session or some shit, like making peace with one another. I want to see that reiterated on the screen. Uh, I think it's more important. Real people who are real, like watchers of R&B and, and, you know pop culture and stuff to the to date like we'll know that in it's more important than the music personally um i think it's yeah it's about a reconciliation and i just i think it's one of those feuds that have just been so tired like it's just it's just it's draining at this point let's let's just put it to bed especially in a pandemic like it's making us realize some things so beyond that i want to see that like the unity and um I obviously have listened to more Brandy than Monica, so this will be a great chance for me to catch up. Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm actually intrigued to see. And like Chope said, when you look at them side by side, it it is pretty 
evenly matched up in terms of like just what they've done in the industry so far. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. I'm excited to see this one. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to watch it live or recap, but yeah, man, like well done to both ladies for coming together. Oh. And I have one more thing to say. I hope they're not singing live. I hope that yeah, they are playing the music. Yeah, let's that Alicia Keys ass thing. Like, yeah, I, I that hope... Was, that was quiet, that, that yeah, one. Yeah, like, no, like, I, I'm here for them being together, like, in the same room, that's fine. But I hope they're pressing play on Spotify. Yeah. Or Apple. I don't... Yeah, I don't want the... Yeah. Even though, like, obviously, they're, they're both great singers, I don't... I don't want to hear... I don't... I want to hear the studio versions of all these songs, please. We don't want and, um, a battle... Like the vocal yeah. stuff, like yeah, do we like Fred Hammond and Kirk Franklin in the same room, but they press they press play? Yeah, one hundred, one hundred. Well, actually, well, Kirk played a few songs live, but you know that's church is different. But most for the most part, they they just press play. Yeah, for and me. that's what I'd like. So Brandy Monica, um, I hope you know doing you no know, Teddy Riley getting you no know, live instruments out. Alicia and John were doing pianos. It, that wasn't the one. Um. So yeah, and yes, like I'm. This will be a celebration, like and Brandy. And I think that's what Brandy's thing has been this entire thing. Like she said, she she said she would love to do it, but she just didn't want it to be like a, a battle. She said she wanted it to be like akin to Erica and Jill's like yeah, celebration of each vibe. other's music. That's the vibe. But the, the but the, but Twitter will not do that happen because they have such a storied history. Those two. <laughs> so is, yeah, like I feel like these ladies need to just ignore the comments. And live in the moment. They should turn off the comments, to live be honest. Because like, live in the moment, because the stands, as you said, this the, the, these two are proof of early stan culture, right? Like even before we even knew what that was. But the the blogs, let's be real, you know, the blogs and the fans in tandem have just fueled this thing for engagement, really and truly. They have, and it's been something that. We've seen with multiple legends in the arena, you know, always this back and forth. And it gets to the point where it's so toxic. Like, people fuel the rumours, like, in these people's teams, you know. And it just gets to a point where this situation happens where we don't even know whether Brandy and Monica can come together. You know, it's just, it's just kind of one of those ones. So I, I want them to not even look at the comments and just focus on being in that room in that moment. That's it. You know, we know you both have great records. That is not something to be debated. Um, great catalogs, not to be debated. So it should be, like you said, Erica Badu's session with Jill. Just incredible union and respect to women who did great things in the world of R&B. That's what we need. That is what the world needs, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Hopefully it goes the way that I want it in terms of just that being the main sentiment. But... Yeah, man. It's incredible that these two ladies agreed. You know, it's incredible. So shout out to both of them. Anyone for any any more for any more before we move on? No. No. Not for me. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Keeping it, keeping it in the realm of something we spoke about before. We are talking about council culture next. Um, and we'll go to someone who arguably I just feel like needs to be ignored at this point. Like, can't stand him anymore. Um, great music. We're not going to say we're not going to say it's not, but just yeah, he's annoying. Um, so Fifty Cent has discussed cancel culture, right? Which we've had debates on. We spoke about. Um, he says that it is the biggest target of the perceived movement. Um, 
is so he says basically cancel culture is dangerous to heterosexual males you know it's dangerous it's harmful that is who it targets the most he spoke to variety recently and said you know i'm an entertainer so to entertain is i believe to provoke emotion i don't believe i can be cancelled he then went on to say they gotta go to jail to get cancelled they gotta shoot a girl which was hinting at what happened recently with Megan the Stallion and Tory Lanez, where Megan revealed last week um, that Tory was the person who shot her in the foot. Um, feet, both actually plural, um, leading to her being in hospital and you know having to get surgery in the days that followed. But yes, going back to 50 Cent, so he said they got to go to jail to get cancelled, they got to shoot a girl. Then he said you got to do something extremely bad to get cancelled, and I think it's so unfair to the people that are cancelled. So, you know, doubling down on his thoughts on cancel culture. Um, and he said, speak it to, in terms of speaking to who he believes are the main targets of cancel culture. He then goes on to say, if you say something about someone who chooses something different, there's organizations set up to start sending things around to get signatures and stuff. Um, and tell me this as a heterosexual male, Who's going to send things around to get signatures based on your failures? There's no one. There's no organization. Certain demos have been conditioned because they've been taken advantage of in the earliest stages. Once inferior, so he's talking about he's talking about marginalized groups. Um, he says that they are now superior. These inferior groups are now superior because we have no organization. So heterosexual males, the biggest target is heterosexual males in general with cancel culture um so yeah 50 cent is not alone in this sentiment um you know nick cave recently referenced it as well saying it's merciless antithesis nick crave uh or nick cave sorry um he's you know an artist he said that as well um, so yeah, there's a load of people who think that cancel culture is targeting the um, heterosexual male. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, yeah, if there's any thoughts. <laughs> I, Shopee, do you mind? Do you want to go first? I knew this was Eden's topic, so. I'm just confused. I don't understand what is being said by 50 Cent, really, because I've read the article multiple times at different angles, <sighs> and I don't really understand his stance and what he's trying to say. It just seems like a lot of mumble. Like, in one part, he's talking about how you have to do something really bad to get cancelled. Yeah. But then he's talking about how heterosexual men suffer the most from cancel culture. So therefore, aren't the people getting cancelled doing terrible things I, I don't understand what his stance is i know yeah, he has I, a I know he has a show coming out soon i know that much does he oh interesting so i know what, a talk show no he has a he has um the new power um the next oh, the part of that's coming out soon With yeah, yeah i know that's coming out now i know he's been doing a lot of controversial interviews i know the nas interview came out recently and i know that when he has something coming out he says things that ignite the internet and draw more attention. No, he cent. says stuff like this all the time. He's like, no, I agree. Room. I agree. But then there are certain things that he will say sometimes where he knows it will get a reaction. Yeah. And it's usually... I don't, I don't think that's exclusive to when he's promoting. He's just an idiot 
Like I think I, 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 stupid. I actually think he's okay. I'm even hearing myself saying this because I know Shafi has said this sounds like Eden, but I feel like it's a strategy. Of course, it is like, <laughs> like, <always> is. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it just makes sense for, for 50 Cent to do things like this because he always gets attention for it. Like, I'm not saying he shouldn't because the things he's saying are obviously lacking nuance and like there, there we go the first nuance for don't like the stance but um um some of the things he's saying sometimes are a bit confusing i don't yeah. understand his position on cancel culture from the multiple interviews that i've read um it just seems like a lot of collision saying that i don't agree with what i think he's trying to say which is that anyone who isn't a straight heterosexual well a heterosexual um do you say blackmail or heterosexual just male no he just said heterosexual. okay so if you're a heterosexual i haven't seen him it, I'm getting confused because I don't understand his point. But if he's saying that only heterosexual men get cancelled, I no, he says that he said they're the biggest targets of it, cancel culture. That's basically uh, what he's saying. That that's the essence of the biggest, the biggest statement of the interview is that that's what he's the, saying in essence. Yeah, my thing is then why did J.K. Rowling come out and talk about how cancel culture is affecting her? Why did she get? what 50 authors to sign a document saying this should be the end of cancel culture i don't this is why i don't i don't understand why people say things sometimes because there's actual facts that exist in the world but i know the thing is as dumb as what he is i know what he's saying so obviously yes those of sense know that cancel culture does not discriminate on well in some well you guys know what i mean it does not um, on the surface, discriminate on yeah. race, yeah, gender, yeah, yeah, sexuality, yeah, yeah, yeah. class, or creed. Obviously, that there's uh, some complexities of that statement. Yes, I know. So, for those listening, I hear you. However, um, so that, but I think obviously, if we're going to look at this through a, a I don't know, a, a bell hooks lens, if you will, you know, you know, Auntie Bell has taught me, you know, over the years that. The evils in this world are capitalism, patriarchy, and what's the other one? White supremacy. And, you know, as we have seen this year, like, you know, the conversations we've been having, you know, have been, you know, more and more left, more and more radical as we discussed, like, you know, defunding the police and abolishing law enforcement. And even like the way we discuss uh, trans trans liberation now, in, in addition to like black liberation and other things. So obviously we're now seeing like the the beginning of the fall of these systems that have for hundreds of years have been at the apex of the world and now people are starting to wake up and realize that oh this is dumb this this isn't how life should work and obviously you know straight men are going to be pressed about that they're going to be like ha huh, aghast oh my god we can't just go around ruining the world anymore and not be held accountable and and not be held accountable for that so i guess he's an idiot but i know what he meant when he's trying to say that it's like well yeah if this is the year of the reckoning that you know it's it's, it's time to break those walls down it's time to wash those you know it's time to you know a new agenda as janet jackson would say the thing is like with me that was very rambled but i hope you guys made that made sense it makes a lot of sense like you contextualize it quite well i think with me is that like i get like it is that like i think patriot like it's patriarchy but um i think with him the sentiment and the tone of the the cats i think he just doesn't get that 
for the large part, council culture is very performative. Like, so as much as we think that all these things and systems are changing, this is an echo chamber. Like, it's actually not really... There's a lot of dancing, there's a lot of discussion, but the needle's not really being moved. Like, and if, if 50 wants to talk about it, like, you know the like compassion that a Kanye West would get is not the same passion that an Azalea Banks would get. Like, you know what I mean? There's a lot mm. going on here. And I think he needs to really evaluate if a quick social, well, not quick, but a, a social media targeted attack and signatures and stuff actually lead to anything. He needs to really look at the end of the council culture spectrum and how many people actually lose things in the grand scheme of things from it versus who get just a slap on the wrist and then continue with their behaviour. He needs to look at his own career. He needs to look at who he posts up and shames and then gets criticised for it and then still gets the engagement a week later and still gets these brand deals to do new television shows and all of these kind of... um, the songs and dances and the nominations and all this kind of stuff, maybe not in the musical lens now, he's transitioned to TV, but um, in terms of 50, like he's still very much thriving out here in some form, you know, um, while being quote unquote toxic, you know? So yeah, on the surface, his statement is correct in some instances, um, but I think the tone that he's coming from is very complain, whine, we need to dismantle cancel culture when let's look at who gets just a slap on the wrist via cancel culture, quote unquote, and who actually suffers from cancel culture, if anyone. And in the very limited cases where it's worked, you know? Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know, 50 again, like he's someone I don't really pay attention to. Um, anymore uh yeah he's just proven himself to be an ass really and like yeah i don't really care what he has to say like when this made the junk out i was like oh 50 cent like again like whenever he comes up it's in the same <laughs> it's in the same box as the shade room it's in the same box as the shade bar it's in the same box. like i don't care what you guys have to say because it's for engagement every single time it's for shock factor every single time and um it harms people at the same time, you know, look at what he did with Megan Thee Stallion. Like he was one of those very same men who um, came at her, came at her sideways. And, um, you know, like, I just, I don't know, 50 man, like you're a big man. You're, you're a very big man at this point. Um, it's time to maybe just shut up and let the TV projects keep rolling out. Like we, we really don't need any more interviews we really don't need any more posts on social media um it's fine like well, we we will survive i promise you um so yeah i'm I kind of this statement this whole interview is just kind of like the sky is blue now what you know um we can move on unless eden or shoppe has anything else to add to this i just want to say the only person i've seen be cancelled is wiley so Wiley is a UK rapper um, and he had a few anti-Semitic comments that he made online and as a result has been deplatformed completely, 
where he's been removed from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, probably LinkedIn, every, every website that's possible for him to have a face on. He's been removed and he's the only person I've ever seen be cancelled. Um, so I think with, I th- well, I think with cancel culture, there are two sides to it. There's like the cancellation and then there's the culture. And um, I talk about this on my podcast, and with Tech, by the way, um, with Alex Reeds and Omar Aline. Um, and I think there's two sides to it, which we need to consider. Like, obviously, cancel the cancellation part of cancel culture doesn't exist. But the culture of the idea of, okay, we have the power to come together and remove this person from earning or um, getting an apology from someone who's done something to our community definitely exists, but it's almost in a phantom state. Like with the likes of Daniel Caesar, for example, I remember, um, I think I saw Nick say something about how like someone tweeted like, oh, Daniel Caesar, I haven't heard anything from him in a while. He's been cancelled, all these types of things. And I think Nick was just like, but he won awards for his music recently. Like he's streaming quite well. I think you said that, Nick. I'm not entirely sure. Um, Yeah, like it's an argument that obviously I come back to like, if Daniel, if, if the world was normal, right? And he came to London, it would be Gucci. Like, come on. Like, he would, it's fine. Like, in terms of he would do fine. Like, in terms of having a show here in LA, in certain parts of, you know, where his, his demographic, Toronto, you know, he would be fine. And again, like, Chopin and me have had the back and forth on here. With Sabrina Claudio, yes, small dips here and there, you know, trajectory and stuff like that. But the same people I saw doing certain tweets last year, were posting up with concert tickets the next year, the next year when she came. And the thing is, like, people can still, some people can still eat. Some people can still eat. And that's my thing with cancel culture. I do agree, like, in terms of, like, some of the behaviours that it incites, like doxing people, leaking private information, okay, like, to the public is really bad. Like, it's really terrible what people can do when they mobilise together in targeted attacks against people, Um, which is what I was trying to say when we discussed Doja Cat, really, actually. Like, there was private information leaked and all of this, and even Talib Kweli, like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, in terms of people who support Talib Kweli leaked this girl's private information, where her mum and dad work. Like, it's just, there's a lot going on. Um, so some of the operation behind cancel culture, I'm definitely highly critical of um, the doxing, all of that kind of stuff. But critiquing people is fine, especially if they've done something wrong to our community, like Wiley did something wrong to our community um, in the past and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know if it works in every single... It, well, it it doesn't work more than it does. Let's, let's just call a spade a spade. It doesn't work more than it does. And in the rare chances it does work, um, you know, it's to the case like comparing it, it just, I don't know. I don't see cancel culture in the term itself as having really a high success rate so far, so far, maybe we'll get better as society, but so far, you know, R. Kelly still gets played at certain barbecues. And there was a protest for his release recently as well. Which this was week, interesting. This week, um, by black people, skin folk, skin folk. Anyway, but yes, sorry, Eden. Um, continue. No, I just want to finish with the point of um something that Alex Reed said about the fact that, see, 
so I'm going to finish the point. So basically, Alex Reed was talking about how cancel culture can be quite racialized and how um, mm-hmm. yeah. the people yeah. that it affect actually is actually black people most of the time. Um, like obviously, we will say things and do things sometimes. And as a result, a lot of the people that actually get deplatformed, using Wiley as an example, not condoning what he said or anything, um, are removed from the platform. And as a result, they suffer, they face the consequences. And then the likes of, um, say, Amy Schumer or um, people who have said things in the past at the detriment of the black community, they get the opportunity to just be quiet for a bit and then reappear. And I think if that is what 50 Cent is trying to say, he needs to kind of say it in a way that shows he understands. Um, But for me, it just seems as a very, oh, people aren't allowing us to do whatever we want, like what Chopin said, like... um, there's a lot of unlearning that like we as straight men need to do. And the fact that some people think that when you're called out about it, it's almost like, oh, everyone hates straight men. I just feel like it's a bit of an empty thing. It feels like a baby just like having a tantrum, for example, that the fact that they can't, they can no longer knock things over and not get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. And you know um, go on, go on, continue. No, I was just going to say like the new, I'm trying to avoid the word nuance, but we need like, <laughs> <laughs> so the nuance of the situation needs to be explored because what we can't do <clears throat> is pretend that in its whole cancel culture isn't something that affects select communities. Mm-hmm. Like we can't pretend that black women don't suffer yeah. as a result. Like you've mentioned Azealia Banks. We can't pretend that maybe the queer communities don't suffer as a result as well. Um, the trans communities, um and even black men in to an extent when it comes from like the larger scale outside yeah. of our community because yeah. intra-community there's like there's two different conversations intra-communally so within our community if black men do things to say the black trans community or the black lgbtqia community then they're more likely to get away with it but mm-hmm. if, if they do something outside of our community with the likes of say um like the white community or maybe um say there's another community out there like maybe the jewish community for example they will they will be cancelled and there's there there has to be an understanding of that cancel culture doesn't exist intra-communally um it exists outside when we do things to other people and there's a racialized element to that as well which is based in power 100 so i do think there is a side of what 50 cent is saying which is true but it needs to make sure that it's targeted at the right people. I don't want to hear from black men that black women are canceling us because they're not. Like there was a whole list that came out on Twitter the other day about sexual abusers and all these types of things. And a lot of those men just went silent for a while and then came back. They're back. And nothing has been said. So, Obviously, yeah. there's, again, there's like... There's nuance there, but um, we're not going to get into that. But um, yeah. in terms of, um, it's given me very, um, why are you against white people when people bring up race? It's given me very that, like, mm. um, that's what the statement's given me. So um, 50, just, you know, books are important things. Don't do like lo- what LeBron James did and just post it and then not know what the actual book is talking about, you know um do the reading that's it's very important to do the reading you know um but yeah i agree with you eden there's two different dynamics at play i definitely agree and there's and which one of those uh climates we're talking about or environments um is very important when you're speaking about these kind of things as well 
um, very important to speak about. So, yeah, definitely agree with what you had to say. And it's cool. important to acknowledge that. Okay, guys. So just to remind you, I will be reminding you every week in the description, there are timestamps for which each topic starts and ends. Um, we wanted to introduce that and signpost it to you so that you will kind of get to jump to which topic takes your fancy. So we're going to get into the third topic now, which is to do with another 90s legend um, and hopefully some moves towards the right direction because it's been a highly contested topic for years. So we're talking about Aaliyah now. Um, if you didn't know, uh, this week just gone, the anniversary of her passing um, was acknowledged as it is every year. Um, it's been 19 years and it, it's really... Really sad, but some great news came from Aaliyah's estate, uh, which was uh, on Twitter. They kind of revealed that they are in talks with labels, multiple labels, it seems, to get Aaliyah's uh, various records, discography, uh, albums, songs, etc. on platforms in the near future. They stated that actually in the near future, um, they will hopefully be available. So Twitter and social media went wild for this. Uh, she was obviously trending because of her anniversary and stuff. But in terms of this, this is great and progressive news. We know that there's been rumoured talks, unofficial talks, etc. over the years. But now we are finally at a place where it looks like officially there's some progress and traction with her catalogue. Um, so I, number one, am quite excited to hopefully see some releases on the album, um, on the album, on the platforms. Um, uh, like some artists have kind of tackled not having their discography on digital streaming platforms by re-recording them. Jojo did this. Um in the last couple of years and i i wasn't a fan of the method like i did like listening to different versions but i wasn't a fan i like you know the nostalgia is the nostalgia but i hope that we do get the method well we have to kind of that is the only solution where uh Aaliyah's catalog is available for streaming so i'm excited personally uh i don't know about you two but yeah she has a very strong uh catalog so yeah, I'm excited, man. I wanna I wanna see those albums and songs on there. But what are you guys' thoughts on the potential for a full Aaliyah stream available? Um, I mean, well, her first album is available on streaming platforms. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and unfortunately that's the that's the age of nothing but a number. Um, um so yeah, it's the other two that aren't. <laughs> Um, which there. are my which are my favorites? My favorite. I I always say I can never decide which is my favorite out of One in a Million and her self titled album. I they both incredible to me. And her first album is good too, despite who wrote it. Um, despite the fact that it was written by R. Kelly, it's a good album. Um, you know, so I'm I'm excited. Not necessarily for me because I I mean I listen to Leo anyway. So like I actually have the albums. So <laughs> um, it was not really much scratch off my back and I, I had no issue playing it on YouTube when, when I wanted to in the last however many years but I guess in terms of just me being a fan I'm excited that you know so like I feel like her fans have done a very good job of, uh, upholding her legacy through social media but this would be like a very a very pivotal step in the right direction of like really um people 
of the young generation, new and old fans, is like really understanding the grains of her catalog and the quality that she really had. Like people don't really discuss enough, like how you know One in a Million is one of the most influential R and B albums of the nineties, if not of all time. Like when that album came out, like that pretty much changed the sound in the going into the the rest of the nineties and the early two thousands, and then even the Aaliyah album, like a uh, a lot of the experimentation of different musical genres. And once again, I've met, spoken about it a few times before about the the uh, predecessors to what alternative R and B was, and like there yeah. were albums that and sound songs that had what we would now know as alternative R and B, but they weren't called so back then. The Aaliyah album, there's definitely some songs on there that were a predecessor to what we now have with like, you know, the Frank Oceans and the Miguel's and the Janae Icos to like, I really want people to now, when this does happen, if it does happen, and which is why I'm a bit skeptical because our uncle has said this a few times and her uncle's a piece of shit. And, um, you know, he's the, so he's the owner of Black Crown Records. This is the same person that kept Jojo yeah. under lockdown for like 15 years. So this is the same person, the same label. And mm. I don't know. And, and because of that, my favorite Tony Braxton album is in Australian platforms because Tony Braxton was signed to them for one album, but she hated them. They had a terrible relationship. Libra is not on streaming platforms. Um, I don't believe Tank's first two albums on streaming platforms because he was signed to Black Crown at the time as well. So like a lot of, it's not even just Aaliyah, like, that, like, so as we all know, JoJo's first two albums, well, the real version. So she did the re-recorded versions that no one asked for. Um, <laughs> do I love her, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so Jojo's first two albums aren't there. So it's not even just Aaliyah. Like everyone that was signed to Black Crown at some point, um, at some yeah, like if I'm not mistaken, even though he who should not be mentioned, I think even one of his albums isn't on streaming platforms. Um, no, that it's not even though it's not missed. I'm just making a point for context that Black Crown Records, Barry Hankerson, Jumbo Hankerson, they are um, uh, uh, are pieces of shit. And um yeah, um yeah. So that's I, I'm excited. I'm excited for that, and I really hope that you know. That, when they get a good team around this, like you know, I, I, there's a really an um an opportunity for good PR around this, like you know, really, really just putting into the into the uh the universe, like people really just understanding, like because we're now we're now in a place now where we're starting to really um, I guess look back at the influence of the '90s, and even like if we're going to our contemporaries, like people are now realizing all of Brandy's influence on today's sound and today's singers and what she's done culturally. Aaliyah hasn't really had that moment. She has, but like in the Tumblr Twitter world. I want that like on official platforms now. So like, you know, with Spotify and Apple and I want, you know, Harper's Bazaar to do something around her or Complex. I want people to like really start like really uh, chronicling in in print and online and really writing like Aaliyah and really illustrating Aaliyah's impact and influence. Like it's not done enough to my taste as someone who, who loves her. But, um, you know, I hope it does happen. In the meantime, can everyone please press play on Aaliyah Heartbroken? It's one of the greatest songs of all time. Wow, that's a big statement. Um, I swear that um, they've said this before. Yeah, they have. That's what I've it's said. been said yeah, a few there's times. There's been loads of conversations before. There's been loads, like loads of excitement, then silence for years. Because I'm pretty sure I've heard it nearly every single year for the last three maybe three years no no the the conversation reappears every year but her family and her uncle have said like i think twice in the last 10 years and also another thing sorry to cut you off but you guys may remember there was supposed to be a posthumous unreleased album executive produced by none other than aubrey 
Drake. Um, I forgot about that. And that and that, and that and that actually seems to be happening. Like I remember, like they put a single out. Things were actually moving forward, but then somehow it just stopped. I think Drake just um, he walked away from the project for whatever reason. Thank God. There were some internal issues with Aaliyah's estate and Black Crown. Yeah. So yeah, no. So like a few times, Barry, Barry himself has said something, but the conversation itself happens every year because her fans want that, and yeah. her fans are confused, are bemused, are baffled as to why. 19 years later, her music is still not anywhere. And I think they even out of print. You can't even buy the CDs anymore. They're not even in print anymore. So you, even when you just order the CDs on Amazon, you can't even do those anymore. So like, it's, a lot. it's just, it's, it's terrible. But back to Eden. No, I was just going to say like, actually, you just reminded me, I completely forgot about that whole Chris Brown kind of sampling her voice and Drake like releasing, I think it's called Enoughing, Enough Said or something like yes. that. Um, and then kind of saying he's going to release a whole album that he executively produces and stuff like that. I completely forgot about that whole era. Um, but I'm intrigued because I still need to learn so much about Aaliyah. Um, I try to stay out of conversations with her, with like her fans and everything, where they say, obviously, if she was still alive, she would be the biggest artist in the world and all these types of things, because I don't have enough context to actually say I disagree or I agree. Like, obviously, I've heard the classics and kind of the the singles, I haven't heard a lot of the deep cuts. I haven't heard a lot of the kind of songs that everyone kind of like whispers about and says, oh, I love this Aaliyah song and everything. But I want to hear her music. So I hope it's on streaming platforms. I hope I'm able to access it some way. Um, we well, can. They're on YouTube. <laughs> but like, I mean, in terms of how she wanted it, how they wanted it packaged. So like, wait, the full album or the song or like singles? All her albums are on YouTube. Like, like oh i didn't know wait not youtube music because i'm not paying for that no not youtube like, music like they're on like, youtube, on YouTube yeah. so like uh, so like over the years people have just uploaded all the songs oh yeah okay so what they're okay, just what? not it's just not on on like youtube music or amazon or spotify apple but like that's what i'm saying like it's not a disservice to me as much because one i have the albums and secondly if i wanted to there are the, all the songs are available on youtube but so what just... would you what would you knowing me, Shoppe or Nick, suggest I listen to to begin with with Aaliyah? I would say the One in a Million album. That's I would I would suggest that entire album. Yeah, I thinking think. about Jayla Darden and like the fact that yeah, I yeah yeah yeah, I think you'd like that. You'd enjoy it. Listen to okay, it in I'm... one sitting though, like one sitting, like continuous. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm gonna give it a go. Um, and then like also, I... oh, go on. No, I was just going to say, like I said, I haven't listened to a full project, but I've probably heard some songs off of that album. So, For sure. Um, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll know. Well, I mean, I hope. I hope you'll know the singles. <laughs> I hope. But no, but like, this is the thing. And, you know, I feel like this is a, a thing I always say, like, it's all well and good talking about the singles, but I am always going to be the one that will... Like, even like when you do the Whitney Houston post, what's your favourite song? And everyone's just naming the singles. Like, no, fuck that. Like, no, I want to <laughs> shine a light on the songs that no one talks about. And I want to do that with every artist. Like, you know, they make albums for a reason. Like, I mean, I know people like, you know, Katy Perry out here making albums for some reason. But, you know, other other artists have music where the songs that aren't singles actually mean a damn. Um, yes, that was a stray bullet. Sorry. Um, deal with it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So like, even like, the one million album, like, like I, if I just off here, like, Beats for the Streets, that is, ah, that is a tune. Or um, Never Giving Up. Never coming back. Ladies in the house. Like, a girl like you with Tretch. Ironically, familiar by nature. Ironically. But, yeah. Great songs. Like, great, great songs. And even, like, um, the songs that she released in between her second and third album. So, like, Man Undercover and John Blaze. Like, 
Yeah, there's just so many, so many. And her unreleased stuff too. There's so many unreleased songs that, like Death of a Player, La La La, No Days Go By. Yeah, um, All I Need. Like, Aaliyah has songs. Choosy Lover, like... And then that's just her second album. I haven't been going to her third album. And then even then, unfortunately, you know, if you're just going to call a spade a spade, her first album be Jam It. You know, shout out to Young Nation. Shout, <laughs> shout out to No One Loves Me Like Quite You Do. Um, shout out to Old School, Street Thing. There's some great songs in her first album too, even though the person who wrote it is, you know, who he is. Um, Aaliyah has catalog. Aaliyah has catalog. Aaliyah has great music and it needs to be discussed more discussed way more so yeah i hope this does happen and drake stay away if you are planning to be involved in any way in this please go away please yeah you are if you are listening i don't want you anywhere near this like so that enough said song that did come out i like the song and thank we thank um shady youtubers who made a version about drake's verse so that's what i listened to um because I just, he was out here saying, what's up in the background every five seconds? Like, nigga, get out of here. Shut up. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, and even that posthumous album, I'm not going to lie. I was actually quite intrigued to, to hear that because it would have been nice to hear her unreleased music with modern day production. Because, you know, people have done it before, like, you know, Michael Jackson and other older artists. But obviously, Aaliyah's an artist who... She's closer to our generation than those other artists. Like Michael Jackson over like a 2020 beat when the song was originally done in like 1983. It's like, yeah, some songs what works, but it's like Ilya's music, her melodic style, her vocal style, and it was very close to what is happening today. And like I said, like like her influence is vast in the world of R&B today, like vast. So it would have been nice to hear her like that, but I just don't want Drake around it. That's all. Okay. And kind of to bring back something we used to do, group chat conversations. How do we feel about the way that Aaliyah's legacy has been treated every year that we kind of remember her? Like I've seen a lot of conversation that's been going on about if Aaliyah didn't die, then maybe Beyonce wouldn't be where she is. Maybe Sierra wouldn't have been who she was or maybe even Rihanna. Like all of these, all of these artists who we think are at the upper echelon at the moment wouldn't exist because of Aaliyah's kind of um, promise. What do you guys think about that? One, I think thing. it's oh, go on. So, um, I mean, I made a tweet on the Dats account a few days ago and I said, I don't know why everyone thinks they're Raven Baxter and they can see into the future. Like, so I'm just gonna start this off by saying, first and foremost, none of us, none of us, no matter if you look at what Aaliyah was doing before she died or what Brandy was doing or what Justice Child was doing, it doesn't matter where, where things were when she died, we will never know ever know what would have happened if she would have continued to soar or she would have started flopping having a downturn or whether these other artists would have eventually done as well as they did we will never know that we will never know that and secondly artists can coexist so on that point i don't i don't like so i don't like that also but i also don't like how people try and downplay her they act like she was just some like some she was just there now I will say this: some of her stands, some of her stands, and I'm a, I'm a massive Aaliyah fan. I'm a I'm a massive Aaliyah fan. Some people do act like she was the biggest thing in the world when she died, and that was not true. She was successful, a very successful artist. But I've said it before; I say it again. Brandy was selling more than she was. Tony Braxton was still out here doing what she was doing. Major Blige was still out here. Monica was selling more than her. Don't be wrong; Aaliyah was very successful. Multi platinum albums, 
many hit songs and had cultural impact. But people act like she was literally like the baddest bitch in the game. She wasn't. She was not. She was successful. I will never say that. But she was. She had hits. She was very accomplished by the time she died. But some of her fans make do kind of like overstate how well she was doing at the time. But she was by no means a flaw, but at all, by no means. But the same token, some people act like she was like a one-hit wonder or she had, oh, she had two hits here or there or she had three hits here. It's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And as for the whole, uh, Beyonce wouldn't have been a thing. Like, Beyonce was in Destiny's Child when Aaliyah died. So Beyonce the solo artist wasn't even a thing <laughs> when Aaliyah died. She was still in a group. And as for Sierra, Sierra came out three years later, Ashanti came out a year later. Um, you know, we, Jennifer Lopez, she was st still around, you know, stealing black women's background vocals. Ashanti Moore, Brandy, Ashanti, um, I can go on. Um, yeah, I, we just, we just, we, we will, we don't, we don't know. We don't know. I will say this though, it does seem that Aaliyah was on an upward trajectory. She had released arguably her most critically claimed album to date and she was about to be in bare movies. Like she was going to do The Matrix. She was going to do Honey. She was going to do Sparkle. Uh, she had a lot of things going on and she was going to go on her first world tour for the Elite album. So she was obviously clearly on an upward trajectory and clearly musically she was continuing to push the boundaries of her sound, experimenting and really um, showing that R&B isn't linear. Um, and she'd even kind of broken away from working with primarily and Timberland. Like, she really, like, you know, she worked with Static Major more and Eric Seats and a lot of producers who weren't really big names, but they were really making some incredible work. Incredible, incredible work. Like, Buddha, like, Rapture. Like, these are great producers who weren't really discussed enough, but they are flipping incredible. So, she was definitely in an upward trajectory, but we will never know. I do think she would, I think she would have had a very successful transition into movies and all the while she will still be releasing music and touring and all that thing and if anything i think maybe she would have had somewhat kind of where brandy is today so like you know brandy had her massive heyday in the 90s and early 2000s which had a bit of a downturn for various other reasons but now we're now retrospectively she's really held up as kind of like an R&B god in some ways like a musical god like people really revere brandy and all the while we're now looking at how how official she was on Black Girls with like Cinderella and Moesha. And while she's still acting, she was on Star, she's still doing movies, she did Broadway. She has a very, you know, multi-layered career, but obviously she's not the big star musically she was in the 90s. So maybe that would have been Aaliyah, but I think Aaliyah probably would have had more of a, a big Hollywood career. It seemed like, I think she would have really made moves in the acting space while continuing to push the sounds of R&B. So that's me. But yeah, shut up about Sierra and Ashanti and Beyonce and whoever. We will never know. Um, I just. But I think that, that is true. Oh, sorry, actually, Nick, you had something to say, didn't you? I didn't speculate on what that looked like, but I said that she would have been incredible for Instagram because she was ready made for it. Like, her whole aesthetic is literally what they're doing now, rehashing it. So I know that she would have there would have been a possibility for like brand deals and stuff like that in terms of um her moving forward into her 30s and um how that how that looked like so yeah i would have just said that but i think again i think we all do it regardless of how the internet kind of frames it and stuff i think we all do it in terms of looking to how 
her career could have looked like or what like we even make small things like even in this discussion there's small nuances of that but I think the bold sweeping statements like this artist wouldn't be here this artist wouldn't be there I just think you know we can't really know that if Ashanti didn't get in her murder ink thing like a day sooner or if like a a fight didn't happen a day like it could have changed her whole trajectory like we don't know with a lot of artists what could or could have happened if we change one piece of time and that is what happens a lot every single year with her career so yeah like there's hints of where she was going there's hints of what she was doing but the film could have bombed you know that she was working on there could have been we just don't know where the road stops you know the buck stopped with her um or could have stopped all we know is that she died so yeah that's it that's literally yeah. it that's all we know unfortunately she died and now that i'm older i really deep how young 22 is like mm. now that i'm i'm 25 looks like I've been in the league fan since I was like since I was like seven eight years old, and I was like, of course, twenty two just seems so old when you're that young. But now that I'm old, I'm like, twenty two is such a short life. Mm. That is such mm. a short life. Yeah, she really did not get to see much of what she was capable of. Like, she could have done so much more. Yeah, so much more. Twenty two years old, only three or, albums, or arguably yeah, nothing at all. We just don't know. Like, we she could have just decided like, music. The music know. industry wasn't for her because. Yeah, because like literally her her experience in the music industry was quite traumatic as well, wasn't it? So she could have decided at 22 years old that she wasn't for the music industry. And I think like, like you've both both said it already, but I think it's just important to kind of highlight it. People change throughout their career. Like they decide that maybe they want to be more experimental. Like earlier we were talking about Burner Boy and, and the fact that he's released a new album. He's decided to go a completely different route. That could have happened with Aaliyah. She could have gone into like heavy metal. Like I know it sounds ridiculous. She could have gone into heavy metal. She could have gone into something that wasn't well, her normal sound. Well, well, this is what I'm saying. That very last album, the Aaliyah album, she was experimenting. Like, it's obviously by and large an R&B album, but funny you mentioned that. Well, there's not heavy metal, but there are two rock-inspired songs on that album. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's um, I Can Be and What If, which were written by Tank. Shout out to him. Um, there was Electronica on that album. There was Funk on that album. There was Dance. There was New So, like, it was Aaliyah's most experimental album. Most. Yeah. So, I, 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 it, it who kinda... knows? So, I would, I, musically, I, I can't even imagine where she would have gone in the future. Mm-hmm. We can't. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's I think I I think that's the issue. I think people are trying to be like these analysts and like look at the way that um like past things happens and the succeed the successions that she had in the past are kind of gonna be what happens yeah. in the future. But obviously that isn't yeah. the case. Like there's exactly. no way there is no way at all for us to know what would have happened with Aaliyah. But the good thing is that a lot of a lot of people from the next generation, hopefully if all of her albums do end up on streaming services, because like I said, this has been discussed for a few years, the next generation will be able to hear Aaliyah and then we'll be able to see how they interact with her work. And if they don't really mess with Aaliyah, that kind of tells us, okay, so maybe if she was making the same type of music that she was making in the past, she wouldn't have been in the positions people think she was in. But that's that's that doesn't mean anything either, because if she was alive, maybe music would be completely different today. Personally, we, we don't know. I was just going to say I was just going to say it's the butterfly effect that's all I'm going to say like when you change one thing in the past it changes everything about the future so and I I personally feel like it's 
a thing with like fans sometimes they get too in it like too hypercritical to this to that and it's like it's actually fine for her to just die like it's fine like it's obviously sad she's gone and I just think at this point we just need to accept it and move on and also I think that even with like the next generation even if it is available on streaming services just seeing how these gener this generation acts um, and in a way we acted like that too um, but just seeing how they interact with some of the artists like even when Brandy released the album the other day like you know Gen Z unless you're a music fan you're not really looking like that to a certain generation of artists and it's sad we're, it's, it's sad that we're getting to a stage unless you're the parents that, that raise your kids on that but um you know, there's, there's a lot of ignorance and it's a crowded music place. So I don't necessarily know if on mass we will see a lot of the people younger than us run to an Aaliyah joint, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we'll still, we still see her kids in this generation. We still see the people who are taking heavy inspiration, whether it's style, whether it's sonics whether it's um vocals um whether it's even lyrics like the people who wrote her, uh, their songs and stuff there's still people who are yeah. taking influence her experimentation you know all of the on the third album there, there's a lot of people still taking influence her name is still being exactly in the musical landscape timberland can't even get his like he still obsesses over her you know and still implements some of the influence in some of who he works with now so there will still always be a legacy there, whether yeah. said or the, the generation to come after that know of that influence. That's another question. But, um, you know, her, her legacy's fine. She's she's here. And I will be running to streaming platforms to just have that ease of um, <laughs> not having to go on YouTube and, you know, stream the album like that. But, um, yeah, it's welcomed on my end, 100%. It's welcomed on my end. And I just, I just want to yeah. add on that last point, on that last point about how you said that some of the generations, you know, beneath us will run to her. But this is what I'm saying. Like, it's about indirect influence. So even if they don't know the influence by her, it is. And it mm. kind of even goes back to like, you know, how, you know, LMA got, um, she got dragged for not knowing any Aretha Franklin songs. And how I've always said that, how like a lot of these, these artists today, they don't study. But, of like of, so even if you're using Aretha Franklin like so LMA not may not know Aretha Franklin but Aretha Franklin has influenced millions of sing of singers millions mm -hmm. of singers so even indirectly I'm sure some of LMA's favorite singers love Aretha Franklin even looking at stay like with the Aaliyah thing like you know Ryan Destiny you know Aaliyah the Aaliyah's there Aaliyah is there <laughs> you know she's mm -hmm. Justine Sky Justine Sky like Normani in, in places um Seven Streeter like Aaliyah is seven, there it's like it's there so even if they don't even so people may look at her like oh I was inspired by Ryan Destiny but Ryan Destiny was inspired by this person you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that makes that's how it works. Sense. You know, it's yeah. you pass it on, you pass it on. Like you're, you'll be in, and even like even like Sierra, like you know, early Sierra like had some, and that might have been you know, um, intentional. You know, maybe labels at the time were trying to you know fill that Aaliyah kind of um, mm -hmm. gap when she you know in the early years after she died. Like early Sierra, the way she was presented, sorry, early Sierra, the way she was presented was kind of Aaliyah esque. 100%. She kind of found her own style later, but um, yeah, you know. 
And, yeah. you know, Drake obviously is the biggest fan. You know, Drake is the number one Aaliyah fan. Like, he's the president of the, of the Aaliyah fan club, you know. So I'm sure he will make sure that Ali's legacy <laughs> is told, you know, with his, his tattoo of her on his arm and, and on his back, wherever it is. You know, he sampled several of her songs, you know. He loves that girl, as if he knew her. Hmm. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, he, he has a creepy obsession, arguably, but you know, he has a tattoo of her on his back. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I believe, um, I believe he says something like, "I she speaks to me in my dreams" or something like that. <laughs> I'm not, no, he, you know, he did. I know he did something like that. So and I remember yeah, just thinking, like, sir, so weird. Like, what the hell? Like, you didn't know her. That's such a Drake thing to say, though. That is such a Drake thing. Yeah. That's such a Drake thing to say, honestly. I've been, yeah, we're going to get on to Drake at some point during the season, I imagine. Like, he's going to do something do we're going we to need to talk about. So I'm do excited for that. To? This but, album of his, what's it called? Um, heart, Love, Love, Love a Boy or something. Yeah, and he has a heart etched into his hair now. So I'm, there's a lot of things I have to say about Aubrey because. Yeah, I would I just think, say this leave us alone. Leave us alone. Boom. Please. Leave us alone. <laughs> um, we're not doing this. Leave um, us can alone. We, can we go? Like, I can't get into this right now. Please. <laughs> Please. All right. So we'll leave it there for, for today, guys. Um, Just because I'm conscious of time. But yeah, guys, we're back. So this is season five. We are back. We are as we always are, but we're listening to you guys with all the feedback you've given. Want to say thank you for filling out the form we sent around. It may have seemed like a while ago, but we did use the information from that to inform this season. Um, and we have some very exciting guests coming on the the, the podcast um, this season as well, which we've, we've been trying our hardest to kind of think what would make this season better than the last one. And we hope we live up to it. So as I said before, thank you to everyone who's shown support. We've seen you shout our names in random places on the internet whether it's been Twitter, whether it's been Instagram or even places like Vero. Um, we recently were on my Vero, like I said before, which is amazing. Um, and we're seeing a lot come from this podcast. We are a very independent platform. Everything comes from us, whether it's the contacts, whether it's the equipment, whether it's where our podcast should be featured in terms of features and everything. Like, obviously, we've got the we've got an amazing PR um person on here so shoppe um helps us with that and nick does amazing things with deciding with guests and everything and we come together um as a trio so thank you very much guys and till next episode peace Bye.